0: Okay. Hello, friends, and welcome to the final shiur of the year at the Khaburah. It is also the final installment of our series where our Talmudim take over. Last week, we had our dear Avner Yishurun explore Agada, and tonight we have with us our longtime Khaburah member, Daniel Ossen. We'll be exploring the role of Targum Klus in the study of Mikra. About our speaker, Daniel is an alum of Yeshivat Torah Vavoda. He has previously studied at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem and at Bar-Ilan University is currently a student at Yeshiva University studying towards a BA in Jewish Studies at Yeshiva College and towards an MA in Bible from the Bernard Revelle Graduate School of Jewish Studies. As mentioned, this is the final class for the year, and we are excited for our new program, which we have recently launched. Uh, so make sure to check that new curriculum out and make sure to join. Uh, membership to the Habura offers you access to our exclusive weekly classes, participation in our journals and books, and our international network of students and teachers. Uh, Most importantly, though, membership helps support us, ensure that we're able to continue our hard work spreading and making accessible, relevant and cutting edge Torah, and specifically the vision of classical Sephardi approach available. We are a nonprofit organization and all money generated goes back to our programming. Uh, So even if you don't really see yourself participating in all of the features uh, membership offers, uh, you would still be supporting our uh, programming and cutting edge Torah and making the classical Sephardi approach available. Uh, with that said, thank you so much all for, for being here in person and for all those who will be listening after. And Danielle, thank you so much for taking the time and sharing with us. It's an honor and the floor is yours.
1: Thank you a lot. appreciate the uh, warm welcome and introduction. Uh, so today's uh order is going to be partially about the role of Targumunculus in the study of Mikra, but also the background in which why we even need a Targum in the first place and of course how that translates into Halakha in our own time. Uh, Obviously if anyone has any questions along the way uh, feel free to put them in the chat. I'd obviously prefer to you know go through them all at one shot at the end but if they're immediately relevant then don't hesitate to ask. So share screen for a second Okay, here we go. So, start at the top. So, of course, we have to ask a very preliminary question. This is why we even need a Targum in the first place. Um, So, after the Obambayat Rishon and the Jews are exiled to Babylon and dispersed across all other places, When during the Shivat Sion period, during the rule of Cyrus the Great, when they come back, they have a very real problem. At the end of Sefer Nechamia, uh, Nechamia describes the descendants of the uh, Shavet Zion as being, basically speaking, ve'inam makirim So they can't really speak Hebrew or Yehudit fluently, and even the languages they do speak, because they're so interested get that down. So that already presents a real need. A few prakim before, um, in a very say, stirring and dramatic episode, um, Ezra reads the Sifr, uh, from the Sefer Torah before the entire Kahal, and more importantly, at the very end, he had, there's this whole procession of these of the Luvim and Kahnim, who also interpret the Torah for the people, and most importantly at the end, by Sefer Torah, Faraj, so they read from the Torah in an understandable manner, and ultimately they taught the people how to understand it. And the, uh, the Gemara, I forget where, specifically breaks down this pasuk into different components, how they would explain the meaning of the different laws, and specifically Meforash refers to the Targum. So of course, in that point in time, the dominant language, not just in Yushalayim, but also across the Near East was Aramaic. It was the language of the Syrians, Babylonians to varying degrees, and of course, it was the administrative language of the Persians that followed them. So they rendered the Torah into the vernacular so that it could be understood by everyone. And this need for that obviously continues as Aramaic and later on Greek become more and more prevalent in the region. In the times of the Mishnah, we already see um, the practice that is attributed by the Hakamim to Ezra HaSofar. Uh, so the way that would work is in the ancient synagogue, you would have your koreh, the person who would be called up to the Torah. The koreh would recite, uh, um, just for simplicity's sake, by the Be'a Adonai Moshe And then the Turgaman would read back to the kahal, um, right? Back and forth, one verse Hebrew, one verse Aramaic, because at that point there were no fluent biblical Hebrew speakers walking around. Uh, you're already a solid... 500 600 years removed from the tail end of the biblical period so that need obviously arises and not only that you have to deal with another problem which is of course the second temple period is rife with lots of jewish sectarianism you have all these different groups of all sorts of unusual uh, beliefs, obviously the Dead Sea sect is the most famous of them, all the materials we found at Qumran that shed light on the, shall we say, the wide range of beliefs that existed amongst Jews of the late Second Temple period. So, of course, it's one thing to have a Turgamon, but how do you, you know, have a proper translation or what makes a translation good? So in the Qumran, there are two... One in the Bavli, one in the Yeshama. You have two separate, but obviously very closely linked accounts, which deal with how we end up with this uh, thing that we call Targum Unculus in our day. So Bavli Merila Amar Rabbi Yehya et Amar Rabbi Chaya Bar Targum Shat Torah Unculus Hagel Amarom Epi Rabbi Azar Rabbi Yeshua. So point the Gemara specifically Rabbi Chaya Bar uh, Targum of the Torah was presented by o- Uncle Sager for Rabbi Eliezer, of the Tanaim. The gives a slightly different account. Don't worry about the names being slightly different. That happens all the time in the Ushalmi and the Bavli. Uh, you know, El Azar becomes Lazar and, and so forth. Uh So, Akilas Hager translated the Torah in front of the B'aliyazer v'yayushua, and they praised him for his efforts, calling him the most beautiful of mankind. So, obviously, you're forced to confront how do we have two very clearly similar uh, statements between the two Tamudim, one which is attributes the Tagum to Akilas Ager, and the other to Unculus Ager. And to my mind, and there's been a lot written on this, that really Akilas and Unculus are one and the same, that shift between the, the uh, Ayin and the Aleph, and sometimes the occasional Nun that you see, especially in differences between Hebrew and Aramaic, pop up quite a bit. So there's fair reason to assume that Khilas and Unculus are one and the same. You can even hear it in just the sound of the names themselves. Um, for, our in, for all intents and purposes, the Targum the we're going to be dealing with is, it doesn't matter per se whether the fellow's name is Achilas or Unculus because they are one and the same. Um you know, my my English name is Daniel, my Hebrew name is Yitzhak. Uh, but obviously in context, you know we're talking about the same person. Um. So what makes Targumonkulus so special or what made it so praiseworthy in the eyes of Hazal? So the first and foremost aspect is, is that it's a very, very conservative translation. What I mean by that is that it tries very, very hard to stick to the Peshat of the text. There's not a lot of, there's obviously some interpretation, because any form of translation is going to be interpretive. It's the nature of the beast. But Unclus strives very, very hard to maintain and retain the plain sense of what he's working with. So let's start with an example that's familiar to all of us in the beginning of Bereshit, when uh, God creates humanity. Et cetera, et cetera. So, you can even, first and foremost, fortunately, the formatting here, maybe, maybe just a little uh, one of these. Now, okay, my luck is not on my side. The point is that with if you compare with the actual verse, you can just see from a word count that the uncle side here on the right versus the, what's called sometimes the Targum Yonatan. It's not really, whether academically or even traditionally, you know, Hazal say that the Targum from Nevi'im was written by Yonatan. They make it very clear that the the Targum on the Torah is by uncle Or the Targum Sudo, Jonathan, or what have you. But Unculus here on these verses starts, so in other words, Unculus makes one ever so tiny change in the first Pasuk, which is he instead of saying Elohim, he says, Use a fine, and so forth. Especially with that pasuk where there's a real rhythm to it, you can hear that Uncle also preserves the rhythm by rendering it as a word-for-word translation. On the other hand, um, and just to clarify, the Targum is a is one of the written sources we have, but obviously you know, everyone who is fluent enough between the two languages could was more than capable of presenting their own Targum interpretation in public. But and I think Targum is a good representative sample of what alternatives may have looked like in late antiquity. So instead, uh, Targum Yeshama'i renders it as Already, right off the bat, huge difference, and it addresses a real problem that you know many mafarshim have struggled with, which is, why is it I say and not, I say adam or something along those lines. Why is it in the uh, first-person plural? So, Thakum so resolves that, very simply, by saying, God spoke to the angels that serve him, that he, ha- that he created on the second day of creation, and so on and so forth. And, while that is, you know, that's a fair interpretation, there's nowhere in the pasuk itself where you could necessarily read that out from. And similarly, it gets even more dramatic, the difference is more dramatic for the following pasuk, where it says that God brought uh, uh, created uh, man in his image, um, and it goes on to say that he created him with uh, 248 uh, Ivarim. uh these appendages or limbs um and with meashitin with three hundred sixty five ligaments, and afterwards God uh covers that entity with skin and fills it with flesh and blood um now it's a very nice and it's sort of you, when you talk about understanding you know shit as it is. It tr- tries to get into the actual process of creation, but unculus and the pasuk itself, quite honestly, is not especially interested in that, which is why it renders it word for word. Another good example of this, and those, and those, um, who, uh, are very familiar with the, uh, the general culture will know exactly why I'm using this pasuk as an example. And when, um, you know, Havan, the Nachash, are talking, or the Nachash is trying to persuade Havan to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, um, that he says, So Targum, famous. of course could lead to all sorts of confusion it's and it uh because you know and obviously in modern academia people are are more inclined to read that as oh that it is you know a story of how you know by eating from the fruit that they will be, gain the same abilities essentially as god or become divine entities whereas uncleus renders it as Ravravin, i.e political rulers or powers um, or people who have the capacity to wield authority and violence, and similarly the uh the uh, pseudo Jonathan also renders it similarly, but with one slight caveat uh et cetera etc, that they'll be like the angels uh who have such authority and so forth now it's not to say that the now, there's a presumption that they would become angelic beings, but rather they would be they would function similarly to angelic beings. Um but of course with the uh, Tugamoculus, that confusion is entirely cut out. And similarly, uh same here with the in Bereshit uh, Vav, right before the Mabul. by U Elohim as benot Adam, talks about these Elohim. Once again, Uncles translates it as, you know, Bnei Ravravaya. And this particular point is, of course, uh, essential in the kind of polemics that exist in late antiquity, where you have groups that do talk about weird scenarios, get very obsessed with angels and demons. And their influence in the world. Uh, for those of you who are more familiar with the with the apocrypha, uh, the Book of Enoch, right, deals with Hanoch and his uh, ascent into heaven, and all the and all the various angels, and how angels would, you know, would involve themselves here, and how humans can involve themselves there. And for that reason, in Bereshit uh Okay, so Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai says explicitly that these are the sons of judges or political leaders um, and not any kind of supernatural divine human hybrid. And also, all the more so in a context where Christianity has just emerged, emphasizing that these are pure people and there's no room for this divine human hybrid business is, of course, all the more crucial. In fact, Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai nechol man necholah leho b'nei elahaya. So, Rabbi Shimon Yochai curses anyone who would call them b'nei elahaya, who would call them the sons of God, or the sons of divine beings for that reason. Um, another uh, aspects of Targum is, of course, its approach to anthropomorphisms uh, in the Torah, which, of course, are scattered throughout. About, If I were to, you know, you could do an entire shiur on that subject unto itself. Uh, but this is a, a handful of examples. Um, that, uh, so. So let's know this pasuk from, uh, every, from our day-to-day. Hayyar Yisrael, ev hayyad ha'gidolah, asher asad man Nisayim. Hayyar Amadonai, ayyamim Amadonai, Moshe Abdo. That right after Hayyat uh, Yamsuf, they Yisrael see question mark of God, that God did in Egypt, and they fear God, and they believe in God and His servant Mosheh. And once again, uncle shies away from that because obviously saying that uh, Israel saw the hand of God um, raises a lot of uh, problematic questions very quickly. So instead, for for the public, it becomes that it becomes the strength or the power of of God, or the, the great strength and power of God that he uh, did in Egypt and more importantly uh, e- even generally where it said where Torah will say the phrase "et Hashem it will remain Uncleus prefers the Min Kadam Hashem that is before God that rather that God being a direct object of a verb that there is a degree of separation that we are before God and not they weren't fearing God directly but they were afraid before God the semantics are a little ticky tacky but that is, uh, but at the same time, that the difference between us being able to do something directly with God versus from being maintaining that uh, relational humility that we are simply before God and that God is not something we interact with directly as a substance or anything like that is also part of the running motif. A very important example and one that of course comes up a lot in terms of the anthropomorphism debate in the Torah is in Shemot Kap where it describes very explicitly uh, So they say that they see whether bottoms of his feet are like the uh, like the made of uh, lapis or that color, and like the sky and uh, its or the heavens in its most pure form. Veil lo elohim And you know they see this right. There's a recurring notion that if you see God, you die. So to the uh, princes or the leaders of bnei Israel, nothing happens, and specifically et says, and then they rejoice. So of course this is a tremendous interpretive problem, especially if you are of the, the camp that correctly believes that God does not have a physical form. So here, when it deals with issues like this, uncleus renders it as that he, um they saw the glory of God, but not God himself. Um and similarly, that they rather than Tahat love it becomes the bottom of his throne, i.e., uh not so much his physic- a physical feat as, as it is a um the image of the divine throne, which you see in the Divi in Yahu in Um and similarly, for the following pasuk when it struggles with the very explicit, uh, you know, by uh, by Jesus Elohim, the same the same thing happens. Um, and furthermore, that it's not just that they they see his glory, but as a result of it, they um, they sacrifice korbanot. Uh, and they rejoice over the fact that those are accepted as if they were eating and drinking before God. Now, as you can just see even visually, without even getting into the meat of the text itself, um, Sue Jonathan has a totally, wildly, and very very interesting take on this whole thing. The problem is how come Jonathan essentially takes this whole episode and turns it into a midrash about Nadav and Avihu, who are going to die shortly. I know there's a lot of text that happens in between now and when they die, but they die uh, pretty close to after Mahmoud Har Sinai. And it turns us into a whole midrash about what they did wrong that essentially set them up to fail in the Mishkan, which in turn becomes a perush on why they died, what they did wrong later, um, but as interesting and maybe, you know, in dealing with these types of uh, midrashim is a class unto itself, um, that it doesn't really square with anything that we see in the Sukim above. Uh, now, in terms of another realm, and I admit this is not personally my area of expertise, but of course, the role of Togmonkulus in halacha. Or maintaining, I I have the I apologize. I knew I was missing something. But oh, let me just. Uh, um. So in Vaikra, you have when it describes the paragraph uh, and of uh, Gimel. So, of course, the question, very quickly, is what are any of the things? Some of them are more self-explanatory, like kaput marim, anaf eis avod, but what is piri eis hadar? So, uh, uncle is there, and I, I apologize, uh, bear with me for a brief, brief moment. Um, so, specifically, uncle is there. Uh, describes pridar which can mean in theory anything was it was it the the fruit of a nice tree the a fruit of uh fruit from a tree the fruit itself is is beautiful whatever the question is but uncle is very uh open and shut simply says consistent with the rabbinic interpretation that priellana is rovine that it isn't that is you're taking an ethrog. um and, of course, there are a litany of other examples of this uh, throughout the Torah. Um, there are, but for our sake, just to for time and also freely admit that my expertise is in slightly different aspects of this, that you can go through the more uh, halachic parts of the Torah, and you'll see things where is bypasses, as it were, the shot, and then very quickly... Make sure that the uh, rabbinic interpretation of a uh, specific commandment is in place. Um, for ourselves, uh, of course, there is this thing that we, uh, are all familiar with the practice of Shnai ve'chad Targum. That every week you should, uh, you know, complete the parasha, read it twice and one and once with Targumonculus. So, of course, where does that itself from obviously, it's not, uh, certainly not one of the 613, but at the same time, it is a that is found in the Talmud in Barachot. <speaking in Hebrew> okay, very open and shut. You have in the name of Rabbi Amei, brought down by Ravuna Baruda. That a person should always complete his parshiyot with the the kihilah shlemikra veachad targum veafilu atarod vedivon shekola moshe mashlim parshiyotav aminusibur marifin lo yamosh natal. So this even pertains to atarod vedivon, which is a reference to a specific pasuk in the midbar where bnei rovain shevet. Ruvain and God are going up to Moshe and saying, these are the cities that we conquered from the Amorite that we want to settle in on the opposite side of the Ardain. Right? Though that's just a list of the cities. There's not a there's not a whole lot to translate there. It's a, it's a uh, it's a real estate listing. Um and so forth, uncles, you know, the Targum Uncleus does not really have a lot to say because what's there to say I mean when translating place names right you usually go to if I were translating into um, you know if I were translating say say Philadelphia into Hebrew I would write it as Philadelphia I wouldn't write it as you know uh, or something like that that would be at least to me that would be a little too literal for the sake of the overall of what you're trying to accomplish um, however most of us are familiar actually and you'll see in a lot of printed editions of Nikolik Delot that it prefers the, uh, that there's a preference for the Targum which actually has specific translations for this verse um, and the reason for that we will discuss uh, momentarily um so Harambam mishne torah inot pfilam. Observe that afokish adam shmeah kolah torah kula, bechos hatoltsi goh chayav likoz ra'smoh bechos shavua shavua. Sedar shel otz shabat shnay mikroveh echad tardu. Same deal basically. Um one, one of the great things about studying mishne torah is where you can see basically where Harambam almost cuts and pastes the language of the Talmud. Puts it in here and either leaves it unchanged or just puts it into Hebrew. And this is a great example of that. And a Pasuk that doesn't have a Tagum, such as Atarot v'divon, you read three times until you complete the Pasha with the, uh, with the Sibur. Now, of course, fighting over whether are you technically reading it three times? Or are you reading it once? Uh, once still in the Targum is not really so important. If you want to break your head over that, that's fine. But that's not really central to the issue at hand. That really, at the end of the day, if there's something that there's no Targum, you read three times. And so just to clarify, that's not even limited specifically to this verse, where there are things like Pirkat kohanim which technically don't have a Targum, or other portions of the Torah, there's a list that appears in the that we don't, uh, even though there might be a Targum for them, that you don't necessarily recite in public. Um, but that is a uh, entirely separate question. So Tur, uh, or Chaim, once again brings the same Halacha, but almost, quite, uh, almost exactly copies, paste the Gemara uh, with a slightly different Gersah. But be that as it may, uh, the real change is where, uh, where you see, uh, in the latter half of the first, uh, serif, and same two in the second. So similar to Harambam, or I guess before Harambam, uh, she writes that, you know, even though if there's a pasuk that doesn't have a targum, um, you read it three times. Um however, there are those who take a different approach, namely Rabinatam. Uh so since there are Sfarim, Shekatu Bahem Tagum Ushami, uh Vinakada Trod Vidivon Afa Pisha Insehim Kokum Vulfizer Vu Vimishimon in Sish Shapim, and so on and so forth. So for certain things, but there's no actual direct translation, or that the Ushalmi has a Different interpretation of these, but at the same time he writes that we are accustomed to uh, be machmir in accordance with the view of Rashi. And the, and the real uh, game changer um, is here, where he writes even Targum Targum Ela And if someone studies with uh, Rashi's commentary, it is thought of as though it is the Targum itself, as the intent of the Targum is that you should understand what you are reading. And if you read in any other language, uh, then you have not fulfilled your obligation. And Moran, of course, later in Shulchan Aruch, you know, writes similarly, and here we have an interesting development where the later posakim attribute the commentary of Rashi as having the same exact status functionally as that of the Now, this to me is, you know, a classic divide that you see in a lot with uh, practices or halachot that might not be as narrowly applicable in our times, but it's a question of whether it's the form of halakha, i.e. using tagumon kudus uh, specifically, or whether it is about the function, which is to understand uh, what you are reading. So the incorporation of Rashi, which became, and still is, the most widespread commentary on Torah that there ever has been, really, in Jewish circles, at least, um, that it's not surprising that people would say that you can adopt it as such, because that is the prism through which people would study uh, Torah. That being said, and this is, of course, this is my opinion, obviously, you know, like most other people here, I grew up, uh, you know, the homashim I used when I was in elementary school were just had basically the text of the Torah and Rashi on the bottom. This is not a knock on him, but I don't think that functionally they are one and the same. But be that as it may, if someone wants to, you know, take any peirush honestly and say that, you know, I'm going to dedicate myself in each and every week to learn the parashah with this peirush, then, you know, by all means, I think it's a wonderful thing. And, you know, broadening a sense of understanding the various issues or interpretive issues that appear and arise in the text is always a good thing. Side note that I would just like to make is if you are going to elect to still use and Lu Tagum is just making sure that my screens shifted to the other tab yeah um, okay so another important thing when you are studying and once again the habara, this is something that comes up a lot is that when you are studying a text any text whatsoever you want a good version of the text, a good Gursa, because you want to know what the text is actually saying and not maybe what some later copyist had to say to it. So this mgkater.org, it's Bari Lan's uh Delod, which is a critical edition based on Kater Sova. And also all the Perushim have been, you know, edited in accordance with various manuscripts. And that, of course, can have dramatic ramifications for how we understand our thoughts taught certain things. So, in Perek of Zion, Rashi, Okay, so Rashi famously addresses why did Yisraq go blind? So he provides a first answer, which is, Be'oshnan shel elu. Ie the Avodah Zarah that the wise of Aisav were doing, uh, and it's a and the varacher she told Yaakov et the that it's a functional plot device that you should that Yaakov should uh, end up with the berachol. Now, of course, the one that stays with a lot of people and one that is the interpretation the varacher. This long midrash about how when Mitzchak was on the Mizbeach, down on the Mizbeach, that the would cry, cried into his eyes and the damage over time from the tears is what ultimately blinded him. However, this here, that this portion is actually in brackets. And the brackets in this edition are the way of signifying this is something that does not appear in the earliest manuscripts, but rather only appears in later editions and was probably... Sometimes you see what happens with printed works is quite often that uh, you have the original text, then a copyist will make all these different notes and their own opinions. And then later on, a second copyist will be like, well, they can't tell which is which. So they have to just include everything because you want to err on the side of caution. But that's a great way of sifting through what is and what isn't. Um, this is some concluding remarks. Uh, when it comes to uh, using the Targum, uh, there are obviously the what we'll call the functional benefits. So I, I will speak from personal experience when I uh, was uh, in middle school, and they, you know, you know, Baruch Hashem that Hebrew was not something I struggled with, but once they threw in this whole Aramaic business, um. Things became very different, and especially like with the targum, just familiarizing myself with the differences of vocabulary really just helped me in that respect. But more than that, I think that because Aramaic, and especially the Aramaic that uh, is used in the targum, is so closely related to Hebrew that you're not just thinking in terms of one language but you're also thinking in terms of both simultaneously uh, I know if uh, uh, Allah shalom wrote about this aspect of it extensively that you're not limiting yourself to just being narrowly confined to the text reading the text and just you know mumbling the words over and over and over again but you're actually understanding it and even if you don't speak Aramaic the interplay between the two texts, you know, something I've asked people who speak a lot more languages than I do. I asked them, you know, what's the, if you were to ask me, total novice, what would be the easiest way for me to learn the language? And it'd be like very simple. You open up, you know, say for and you start from there and you get everything very quickly because it's extremely familiar to you. And so to hear that with the Aramaic, and especially because of how similar they are and how the semantics carry over pretty neatly from one to the other. That there's tremendous value in not just being able to understand the text, but also to think almost in two separate but interconnected tracks about the same exact text. Uh, obviously, the rec- recitation of the Targum uh, in public is something that has, with a handful of exceptions, primarily the Jews of Yemen. And from, as my memory serves, there are some Kurdish communities that pre- preserve the practice of. Uh, we saying the Targum in public, but it also, instead, you know, it, the Torah is something that you is a text that you are engaging with, and not just a song set to a particular set of words. Uh, thank you.
0: Wow, Danielle, very well presented, very insightful. Thank you so much. Um, we're now open for questions, comments, criticisms. You can yell at him. So if you want, you can unmute or write your question in the chat box, Um, raise your hand.
1: Put put your questions in all caps. If you don't feel comfortable yelling at me personally, but want to convey the same effect, the options are open.
0: I'll start off by maybe not a question, but just a a point, which is, as you you pointed out how many times the the, the Targum is not actually trying to give over the torah in a different language as it is but more what the understanding of the of the Humash is what the mikra is meaning and he tries very hard to keep it within the bounds the rabbinic bounds um so there's almost an assumption that the audience is someone who is not going to study on his own meaning he needs to sort of be handed that handed that over like the torah meaning the torah wrote it certain things in misleading ways meaning that's how it clearly wanted to present it it could have done a much much better job um so so when the targum comes and does so the is it's the assumption is is that the audience is not going to do their own study
1: right and do you and this is i mean look you know we live in era of like unparalleled widespread torah literacy like what we have now where the expectation is for a lot of people and in school systems that are bigger than they ever have been before that like, you know, the Chachamim were of an, you know, a separate scholarly class from the rest of the people. Most people uh, were not, did not speak Hebrew. There's a, there's a great Teshuvah Harambam where someone uh, uh, writes specifically saying like, um, you know, I'm trying to study the Torah, but I can't speak Hebrew. So I'm relying on Saadia uh, Gaon's translation And I just want to know, like, like I feel really guilty and self-conscious about that fact because, you know, I want to be able to read the original, but I can't. But ultimately, you know, Rambam writes is that it's not about specific form. It's about the fact that you are understanding what the text says and that you'd much rather be able to understand what the text says than to be able to read it for the sake of being able to read it in a formative way. Um. In terms of just other things, I will I will note that there are times where Uncle the, the Targum uh, deviates wildly from the Pishat, such famously in more prophetic se- sections, like the end of Bereshit with Yaakov's Berachot is one example, or more famously in Ha'azinu. Um, if you read the Targum in Ha'azinu, it's like you're reading an entirely different book, because it's much more, I mean, you can open up and see for yourself, but the contents are, you know it treats it as a prophetic work, and therefore it is trying to match various elements of what of the Shirat onto various happenings or future happenings um, in the history of Amra. Any
0: In your opinion, is there a specific, uh, benefit and using the unklus uh, um, or or to, let's well, say today, that,
1: can as I English think, would be better. So look, um, I think not that you know as I said, I'm I'm more of the uh, not just that not just uh, form over function, but I would argue that the form is the function, and that on the one hand, yes, you can uh, use an English translation to help you, but there's obviously a wide range, not just in quality, but also uh, you can find even with different, every English translation, of course, is marketing to a different audience. You'll have say Art Scroll, which is art marketing one way Coran, which is marketing or JPS, which is marketing a third way. And that's even before you get to like more ac- conventionally academic translations. So while those are good tools, I think it is also important to really read the Torah as Hazal understood it, which is, you know, a lot of time, for example, um, Art Scroll sometimes will, and this is not a knock on them. They are very, they're very open, by the way, for all the criticisms of Art Scroll's translations, they are very open about their methodologies, um, but they'll say, oh, we you know, generally and when ambiguity arises, we try and see if, you know, Rashi fits the best with the text and then we'll translate according to Rashi if that's the case. Um, But of course that means you're reading in a sense, you're reading Rashi's commentary on the Torah just repackaged in different words or in a different language. So if you can work with the Aramaic 100%, that, you know, in every English... I have obviously I don't think there's such a thing as a perfect translation and I don't think I ever expect to see one, but you know, some are better than others, but obviously different people are looking for different things. Um yeah. That's are there are any other questions. Anyone else? Okay.
0: So I think we'll close it with that. Daniel, what a great way to, to end the year of the Chabura. Thank and, you. Uh, I was
1: I was admittedly feeling, especially after Rabbi Dweck's Q and A on Monday, I was, uh, which was a tough act to follow. I hope I did not passably. No, <laughs> for excellent. Sure.
0: Thank you very much, thanks Daniel. Yeah, thank great. you. And, and what's important over here with this series, with the Tony Deem taking over, is that it's important not only to be, you know, on the sidelines, being a pawn, but also being an actor and being active and actually taking the role and leading. So thank you, Danielle, And uh, thank you so much, everyone, for, for an incredible year. It was, uh, it was really incredible to be a part of this. And uh, we'll see you on, on the flip side for the next curriculum. Yep. And make sure to sign up for that. And that's
1: of everyone. Thank you so much. Yep, thanks, Daniel. Great. Thanks, Daniel. My pleasure.